Thanks for that. Uh, musicians, we really appreciate it. Helps us connect. I mean, what a great time of worshiping God for who He is and all of His glory and His holiness. And that um, actually ties in with what we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, just, just important. You know, the events of a week can remind you. The events of a day can remind you how much you need God. It doesn't take a, a life to learn that lesson. It takes a minute to be reminded of how dependent we are on God and how much we need Him and how worthy He is and uh, just the realignment of being here every Sunday and uh, singing to God and, and paying attention to what He says about Himself and us in, in uh, the Bible. Man, that just helps us uh, stay on track for a life that is filled with uh, slings and arrows, as they say. So, Well, it's good to be with you this morning, and I know many of you have been in prayer for uh, Thad, Pastor Thad. Uh, some of you know he uh, ended up in the hospital in ICU, uh, talking about how one minute can remind you of your dependence on God. Uh, he had a kind of a scare and some significant issues that were... Uh, uh, taken care of for the most part, and uh, seemed to be resolved, and uh, so thanks for praying for Thad. He's, uh, he's going to be back on track, he's back at home now, and, and he's going to be fine. Keep praying for him, and uh, always be in prayer, you know, we're always praying for our church, for uh, each other, and uh, the challenges of life. So, we live in interesting times, we're going to uh, continue our study this morning. We've been talking a little bit of, lately uh, about the times that we live in, and they are pretty interesting times, and, uh, you know, that Chinese blessing, may you live in interesting times, uh, blessing or a curse, you know, sometimes depending on how you look at it, but sometimes it's just a lot of fun. And uh, this week, some of that interesting stuff was just a lot of fun. Uh, we live in interesting times where people are both enthusiastic and skeptical. I mean, we live in a world of enthusiasm and skepticism at the same time. A good illustration of that was this last week. Uh, for those of you who are social media types, you already know about this. There was a women's swimsuit company, a ladies' swimsuit company that put on a promotion on Instagram and on Twitter to promote their summer line of swimsuits. And they were especially promoting a women's red swimsuit. And they were going to give this swimsuit free, like a $65 voucher for this swimsuit to anyone who would post a picture of the swimsuit and then tag their company, the Sunny, Sunny Company, what is it, uh, Sunny, Sunny Company Clothing, all right, Sunny Company Clothing. If you would post this picture, uh, post the picture and then tag it and and your friends would see it and, and everyone would be, and they, you, they give you the $65 coupon for a, a, a Beautiful red swimsuit, just like the one that's there. And so people on Instagram, people on Instagram saw this and thought, that's so sweet. This is, this is part of the picture that I'm showing you here. That's so sweet. What a beautiful picture, a beautiful woman sitting beside a dark blue pool and, and a red swimsuit. And it's, my friends would love to see that picture, and I would get a $65 voucher, and my friends could get a $65 voucher too because they'd see that beautiful picture and they'd post it to all of their friends. And it would just be wonderful to share this with everybody. So the people on Instagram, that's what they did. And the people on Twitter, not so much, okay? People on Twitter, they're a sarcastic bunch of people. They are snarky 
people. And they saw this promotion, and they, they tweeted things like this that says, uh, girls this summer pulling up to the pool in their free, sunny company clothing swimsuit. And uh, all this went viral, and everybody's posting, and the company starts to sweat because they're like, oh, this is, we're going to be giving out a whole lot more than we thought, and they finally put a cap on it, you know, no more. And, uh, the, uh, you know, some people, they just are enthusiastic, and other people just not so much. Well, that reminds me kind of of the world we live in when it, ta- when we, when it comes to Jesus. And that's why we're in this series called Yeah, But It's... Uh, because there are some people who, who love Jesus and don't have any real issues with that. And then there are other people who are like, yeah, Jesus is okay. But what about Christians? Jesus is okay. But what about the Bible? You know, we talked about both of those these last couple of Sundays. Jesus is okay. But what about science? I mean, we live in a world today of facts and you can't be a modern person. You can't be a modern person and, and, and uh, appreciate science and also be a Jesus follower. I can't follow Jesus when I'm a modern thinking person living in the scientific age. If you know what I know about the world, you can't believe in Jesus. And uh, that's what many people think. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. This is our third of four Sundays in this series. Next Sunday will be our very last one. And, and this morning what we want to talk about is this idea that, being, that, that following Jesus and being a Christian is not possible uh, for anyone who appreciates science, for anyone who loves science and learning. There are some who see Christianity as incompatible with science because it involves believing things that can't be validated. They can't be validated in a test tube. You can't... Uh, you can't prove them in a laboratory, like the existence of God, or that man has a soul. Uh, you, you can't prove that in a laboratory. And because it involves believing events, be- believing in events that can't be replicated, there are some things that, that Christians believe that can't be duplicated. Uh, they don't normally happen in the natural world. They're called miracles, and the historical record of Jesus is full of them. So you can't really say, I believe in Jesus, but not miracles, because the only way you know about Jesus is the same historical record that records Jesus performing miracles, miracles of healing, and uh, miracles power over nature, and of course, his own resurrection. I mean, these are things that don't happen in the world of science. And, and they're impossible from a scientific point of view, some would say. And so, because following Jesus involves in accepting these things, things that can't be proven in a laboratory, or things that break the laws, seem to break the laws of the natural world, some people say, hey, Jesus is just too much to swallow. Uh, it can't, if it can't be proven in a test tube, if it's not explainable by natural causes, then I just can't believe it. I can't believe it because faith is not the same thing as science. One of these is based in reality and facts, and the other is based in fantasy and imagination. And that's a very strong perception in our culture. It's a very powerful narrative. The perception is that the more, this is a narrative in our culture, the more educated you become, the less religious you become. 
The more you learn, the less you believe. That's a very common, I'll call it a narrative, it's a very common narrative in our culture. It's pretty much an unquestioned assumption. The more religious you are, the more educated you are, that means the less seriously you you take religion, the less religious you are. And that's why the news about 10 days ago was so interesting, because the Pew Research Center investigated this very question. They just completed researching this idea, and NPR did a story reporting on their findings, and you could hear the pain in their voice as they reported these findings. Here's what they found. I'm going to read a little bit at length to you from this uh, NPR story on the Pew Research Center. So you can look at the NPR story. You can also go back to the original research, Pew Research Center. You can find all that on, online. And here's what they found out. They found out, yes, it is true. It is a true narrative that the more educated you become, the less religious you become. Uh, a study released this week by Pew Research Center uh, appears to support the secular, secularization thesis. Secularization thesis, the more secular you become, uh, the more educated you become, the more secular you become. Uh, college graduates are less likely to say they believe in God. They are less likely to say religion is very important in their lives. They're less likely to say they pray regularly. And college graduates are more likely than others to identify themselves as atheists and agnostics. Here's where the pain in the voice comes in. A closer look at the data, however, offers a more nuanced picture. While highly educated Jews tend to be less observant than less educated Jews, the relation between education and religiosity is weaker among those Americans with a strong Christian identity. Here's the quote. Highly educated Christian adherents are just as religious, in some cases more religious, than their fellow members who might have less education. Here's what this story reveals, is that in general, in most faiths, the more educated you become, the less religious you become, except when it comes to Christianity in the United States. And in Christianity to the United States, there's no difference. And in some places where there is a difference, the more educated you are, the more connected you are to your faith. So you have this strong narrative in our culture that actually is not true. How could it be? How can it be that the more that you can be an educated? You're saying that there are educated people who uh, believe and follow Jesus. How can that be? How can it be that because following Jesus requires believing things that you can't prove, and some things that you've never seen before and may never see in your lifetime, and just have to believe that they took place. Things that science says, no, that's not how it works. How can educated people believe these things? That's what we want to talk about. So first, there's a disclaimer. There are people sitting in this room right now who are much smarter than me and know way more about science than I do. Way. I've always loved science. I appreciate science, uh, but it's not my field of study. I have tried to read A Brief History of Time three times. Okay, I get about halfway through it, and I quit. So, it's not so much that I did not choose a career in physics, as it is physics did not choose me. Okay, so that's the way it is. But, 
I've done some interesting reading on the subject, and I want to give you uh, some things to think about. Two things we're going to talk about. One's the compatibility between science and Christianity, the compatibility. And the other is whether you have to believe in unscientific things to follow Jesus. We're going to talk about those two things. So the first of those is the idea that uh, Christianity and science are not compatible. They just don't go, they are in conflict with each other. Uh, And there are different views. There are actually different views on the relationship between Christianity and science. And one uh, guy back in the 1960s kind of put them on a spectrum for us. So they're on this kind of continuum. And they go from conflict to dialogue to integration to independence. And, and somewhere on this continuum, different people think that science and, and Christianity are different points on this continuum. And, and the one that gets the most the one that gets the most attention and the one that most people think of is the very first one. It's the, this relationship of conflict. Uh, and a lot of people are stuck on that. And what they want you to believe is that science and Christianity are in total conflict with each other. Uh, there are people who want you to think that, and they have shaped their teachings and even their textbooks to make you think that. What, one of the things that I've learned uh, is that there are some urban myths, the urban myths about the conflict between Christianity and science that you may have even been raised with. Now, this has been an interesting reading for me, and uh, it's going to sound, and maybe to some of you it's going to sound a little bit like fake news, but I've got all my resources here. I'll be happy to share them with you. So uh, how many of you grew up, uh, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but in your, in your mind, how, this is how I grew up. And I, I pulled, I, I did a scientific poll of a very small sample group, with the last name Henderson, uh, <laughs> last night, and I asked. So, uh, I was taught. I was taught that Columbus, Columbus, thought the world was round, and everybody else thought the world was flat. And Columbus said, "No, the world is round," and he had to fight the church. He had to fight a church and a church council in order to get you know, and over this idea so that he could finally get to Ferdinand and Isabella and ask him for money for his expedition. I was taught, everyone thought the world was flat. Columbus thought the world was round. He was a brave revolutionary who defied the thinking of his day. How many of you are like, yeah, that's pretty much what I've heard. I will ask you to raise your hand. Is that what, uh, how many of you have not, did, that's not what you've heard. You heard, <laughs> you're just afraid to commit, so... Uh, <laughs> Um, so, that's what I was taught. I've always taught, been taught that. And uh, in my reading, here's, here's what was so interesting, that, that that is not how it happened, that it was, it was common knowledge in Columbus's day that the world was round. Some of you probably knew that. It was common knowledge in Columbus's day. Not elite knowledge, but it was common knowledge among people with education, you know, that the world was round. And it had been common knowledge for a long time. For a long time, people knew the world was round. Uh, how, how is it then that at least some people ended up in the 1900s being taught that the world is flat and Columbus opposed them and said, no, that's not true, you knuckleheads, you ignorance. So as I've read on this subject, uh, between, between the publication of Darwin's Origin of Species, like in 1838 or 36 or something like that, and the Scopes Monkey Trial, if you know what that is, uh, creation evolution uh, in the 1920s. In this period of time, there's this conflict between uh, 
you know, as the, as the theory of evolution begins to uh, grow, uh, there begins to emerge this, this narrative as people push against evolution that the, that the church and science don't go together. So in the late 1800s, a couple of influential people began to write. They began to write, uh, re, kind of rewrite some narratives to frame this conflict between science and the church. And that, that it is the writings of these people in the late 1800s who framed a lot of these issues that made it their, made their way into our textbooks today. And they were purposely written, not the textbooks today or, you know, but the ones, the, the original writings in the late 1800s, they were purposely written to foster conflict between the church and science and to undermine the church in the emerging modern world. And if that sounds like fake news to you, that there were guys back then who wanted to throw fuel on the fire and make it look like science and the church just don't go together, then I'd love for you to read what I've been reading, okay? I've read, I've got some stuff by Tim Keller. I've got a book here. I'll share these with you later, but this is a book by a guy named Rodney Stark. Rodney Stark was the, uh, he was a prof at UW in Seattle, and now he's at Baylor, and he's written a book. In this particular book, he's got a chapter, 80, 80 pages long, on science and Christianity, 273 footnotes. I mean, if you want to read that. But the thing that uh, I found most interesting was I read last night. I found something online just as I was doing some extra checking on this stuff. I found an essay by Stephen Jay Gould. I don't know if you know who Stephen Gould is, but he was a big, he's dead now, but he was a big evolutionary guy, a big proponent of evolution. So he's no friend of Christianity, but he himself has a whole essay on how everybody knew the world was round when Columbus sailed. And uh, interesting to, write, to read his defense of, of the church when it comes to that subject, because he's no real friend of Christianity. So, uh, there are people who want you to think that there is inherent conflict between learning and faith, between Christianity and science, and it's just not true. The relationship between Christianity and science is really not one of conflict. It is further down this spectrum, more towards integration, all right? What integration means is that all truth is God's truth, and, and we're discovering God's truth as we study science, uh, then, and that as we s- discover truth, we're not afraid of truth because all truth fits together. So truth we learn from, from the Bible and truth that's revealed in the natural world through science, all of that can fit together. And as a matter of fact, Christianity and science aren't just compatible. Christianity gave birth to science. Christianity gave birth to science. Now, Rodney Stark makes this point. He's not the only person who does it. He says this, that lots and lots of cultures have developed technology. Technology is what works. And, and uh, you develop technology, what works, by trial and error. All right? And lots of cultures throughout history developed technology. China had technology. They had gunpowder, and they had paper, and they, they had compasses. Rome had technology, aqueducts and catapults. Uh, a lot of cultures had technology in metallurgy and architecture. But none of this is actually science. Because technology is just concerned with what works. Not how it works, just that it works. And how to make it work better. Science is about why 
things work. Science is about how they work, about finding explanations for how something happens and then testing those explanations, testing those explanations through evidence and experimentation. These cultures had technology, but they didn't have science. They weren't trying to find out why. Only one culture tried to find out why. That was the culture that developed within the Christian worldview. A Christian worldview believes that there is a rational, orderly God, and that He created a rational, orderly world that operates according to certain rational, orderly principles, and that by discovering those principles, you can learn something about God. It's like we read in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hand. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. And it's this view of the world, it's this view of the world that led people to want to know more about the why. Why and and the how. Because it points to the who that's behind it all. I can't think of a better reason that a Jesus follower would, would want to love science and should love science, then that it points to the beauty and the wisdom and the power and the creativity of the Creator. Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 1. He says, the invisible things of God, you can't see God. The invisible things of God, since the creation of the world, are clearly seen. What? I thought he just said they're invisible. Well, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being perceived through the things that are made. He's talking about creation, that you can learn about an invisible God by studying His visible creation. And this motivated Jesus' followers. It motivated Christian men, particularly at that time, to learn about the world, learn about the who, learn about the, 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 the how and the why so they could learn about the who. And that's how science was born. Historically, Christianity gave birth to science. You can, you can study it. This is one message. There's a ton of material on this, on uh, the Christian worldview of early scientists. Even today, there, there are a significant percentage of Christian scientists. It's not, as, it's not the same percentage as Christians in the general population, but... but Clearly, these are not incompatible. In the words of Stark, here's a quote from Stark. He says this, Christians developed science because they believed it could be done and should be done. Science came from a Christian worldview. Now, you can read a lot more on that subject. Keller and Stark, I'll give you that stuff in a minute, will be great places to start, but it boils down to this. There's not a conflict between Christianity and science. It's actually just the opposite. Christianity is fertile soil for discovering truth, any kind of truth, from any domain, because all truth is God's truth and helps us better understand his world. Okay, but what about this? Uh, Don't you have to believe in unscientific things to be a Jesus follower? Okay, so science and Christianity, okay, but don't you have to believe things that are like could never have happened you know, you have to believe in God, don't you? Yeah, pretty much, I guess. Uh, don't you have to believe in angels and miracles and souls and life after death and all these things that aren't very scientific? What about that? Aren't these things all just 
unscientific things. Well, the truth is they're not unscientific. They're just outside the realm of science. There are certain truths that are not unscientific per se. They're just outside the realm of science. There is a view of science that says science explains everything. Science is how you know anything is true. And if you don't know it's true by science, you just can't know that it's true. Science is how we know all truth, and there's no such thing as any truth that's outside the realm of science. We may not understand it all, but if we could, all knowledge and all reality could be discovered by science. That's what someone would have you think. But what if there's a part of reality that actually can't be measured by science? Science is only equipped to deal with the natural world. If something exists outside the natural world, even outside our senses, does that mean it doesn't exist? When you put it like that, it gets clear. If something exists outside our senses, does that mean it doesn't exist just because we can't sense it? No, it just means we don't have the capacity to measure it. I don't have the, it means we don't have the capacity to reproduce it. And that's science. It's only equipped to measure the natural world. God, your soul, life after death, those things are not part of science's ability to measure. So science can't comment on them. It's not that they don't exist. It's that science can't know them. There's a famous illustration of this idea. So imagine someone uh, who's drunk. They're drunk, and it's at night, and they're stumbling down the street on their way to get their car. And they lose their keys along the way. They get to their car, and there are no car keys. It's a dark street. There's only one street light on the whole street. So they've got to go find their keys. And so they stumble back down the street to where the street light is, and they start looking in the area where the, the street is lit. And they insist. I mean, that's the only place they'll look for their keys. And they insist their keys have to be somewhere here under the street light because this is the only place they can see. All right? They can't see where it's dark, so... By definition, the keys have to be somewhere where they can see. Do you see the fallacy in that thinking? It's the same thing that people say, uh, uh, people assert about science. You know, science only can look under the streetlight. And just because they insist that all knowledge exists under the streetlight doesn't necessarily make it true. And just this week, I heard again on NPR a scientist named Marcus de Satoy or something like that. He's an English guy. And he's talking about the limits of science. He's a scientist talking about the limits of science. Not just what isn't known, but what cannot be known by science. He was on an NPR program this week. He has a new book called The Great Unknown. And each chapter is about a new thing that cannot be known by science. Just can't be known. Science can't answer that question. And he's an atheist, but at the end of the book, he kind of... At the end of the book, he definitely says, okay, I can't, by my own definitions in this book, I can't say that God doesn't exist. I can't say that because that is outside the realm of my ability to know through science. My point is that science doesn't explain everything. Uh, When we don't understand all of science, first of all, we don't understand all of science. So there's some limitation, even within the realm of science, Uh, Those of you who know, I know some of you know a lot more about this than I do, but once you get down to the smallest, smallest levels of matter, 
quantum physics, all this orderly, rational world that's predictable. When you get down to that level, nothing's predictable, and scientists don't exactly know why things happen the way they happen down there. There's a lot of things that science doesn't know, even within the realm of what it's equipped to measure. And then, what about what's outside of that? Outside, reality that's outside of science's ability to measure. So, my point is just that science can't explain everything. So, science and Christianity, not incompatible. They can be integrated. Do I have to believe things that aren't true to be a Christian? No, you just have to believe some things that science doesn't have the answer to. And then one last uh, bonus question. Those are my two points. Science and Christianity, not in conflict, but integrated. You don't have to believe things that are unscientific to be a Jesus follower. You believe things that science can't address. So those are my two points, but I'm going to give you a bonus, a bonus point this morning and talk about evolution. Yay. <laughs> Uh, here's the question I want to answer. Do I have to take a certain position on evolution in order to be a Jesus follower? If I believe God exists, if I believe He sent His Son Jesus to rescue me from my sin problem and to repair my relationship with God, and I take the Bible seriously because Jesus took the Bible seriously, do I have to then believe a certain point of view on Genesis 1 and 2? And here's my quick answer, courtesy of Tim Keller. My quick answer is this that there are a lot of people who believe that God exists and he sent his son to die for our sins that we had accumulated against God and rose again from the dead and offers us repaired relationship with God. There are a lot of people who believe that who take a different position on Genesis 1 and 2. Take different positions on Genesis 1 and 2. And these are people who take the Bible seriously. They interpret the Bible. They approach the Bible with the rules we talked about last week, culture and context. They take those things into consideration when they come to Genesis chapter 1. And yet still, they come up with some different positions on how God might have created the world. And what that tells me is the answer must be yes. That you can believe that God exists and he sent his son and Jesus is how we know who God is and that he died for us and rose again and, and have different ways of understanding and explaining Genesis 1 and 2. Now, they can't all be true. I'm not saying all those different explanations are true. But it just shows that Jesus lovers can have different understandings and, and different ideas about what may be expressed in Genesis 1 and 2. I'll tell you what I think. I am more comfortable the closer you get to a straightforward reading of the text in Genesis 1 and 2. So the closer you get to a straightforward reading of the text, I'm more comfortable with that. The farther you get and the more figurative everything becomes, the less comfortable I become. So where on that spectrum do I fall? I still am learning and growing. But the more, the closer you get to a straightforward reading of the text, the more comfortable I am. I am also very comfortable knowing that God created in the world uh, certain principles like natural selection and adaptation. I mean, that's just no-brainer stuff. You see that happen all the time. You can almost watch it happen. So that's not an issue. But I am uncomfortable. So I'm talking about where I'm comfortable and uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable leaning too heavily 
on the research of scientists who are trying to connect the dots only within the light of the streetlight. So many, uh, so many times, scientists, and, and especially when it comes to evolution, which you can't reproduce, try to explain and connect all the dots when they don't allow for certain things in the world that I allow for. And so I'm uncomfortable putting too much uh, dependence on everything they say. This is how exactly how it was, especially when you read on a regular basis about how regularly they revise those findings. What I would love is I would love to know uh, and love to follow Jesus' followers who take the Bible seriously and see Jesus as the one God sent who will also study these things and help us uh, do a better job at integrating uh, the Bible and science. Uh, Here's what it comes down to. You don't have to take a particular position on Genesis 1 and 2 to exactly, uh, and come down to an exact point to believe that Jesus is the one that God sent and he's how we have a repaired relationship with God. So there you go. I know that this is kind of a more of a thinking sermon Okay, I understand that, and that's kind of what this series is a little bit about. But that's what I want it, that's what it needs to be. I want people to know. You need to know. You can be a thinking person, you can be a science-loving person, and still be a Jesus follower. Because Christianity is not in conflict with science. It actually gave birth to it. And it actually explains a part of life. Christianity explains a part of life that science can't even touch. And Jesus speaks to that part of life our relationship with our Creator and who we were made to be and how we can live forever. And we have reliable records of what Jesus taught on these things. And then He actually showed us He was worth listening to by suspending some of the laws of nature and showing that He has authority over that. So, here's here's kind of what it boils down to. For those of us who sometimes wrestle with these questions, the main thing I wanted to accomplish today was to show you there are some reasonable, there's some reasonable dialogue. There might be some things maybe that you've never thought about before. There might be some people you've never been exposed to who can help you think more deeply about these subjects. There are some reasonable explanations and reasonable uh, points of view. And so basically I hope that it encourages you to find out more. If these are things you wrestle with, Uh, I'll come back in a minute, and I'm going to share some helpful resources, some places that you can get started. But that's kind of my goal this morning. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for uh, being the God of truth. We're not afraid of truth. We are not afraid of truth because we know that you are the God who created all truth. And and, uh, yet we live in a world where uh, you have left a lot up to us to learn. You haven't just told us everything. You've told us the things we need to know about you and the things we need to know about us and our relationship. And so we know we have that truth. But, but you've also put us in a world that's fascinating and amazing and full of mystery and surprise. And that it helps us understand you as we better understand the world. So my prayer is that you will raise up in the church around the world people who are bold, people who will boldly identify with Jesus and at the same time dive right into science and help us, help make the world a a better, richer, more meaningful place and at the same time 
Help us integrate the knowledge of the things that we learn about the world with our knowledge of you and how you created us. So I especially pray for the person here this morning who kind of wrestles with these ideas that, that you would encourage him or her with, with uh, just the idea that there are some reasonable uh, explanations and there are some things that, that are different than maybe what they've been taught and that, that it is worth uh, learning more and especially being open to Jesus and the historical record about him, which is reliable and that we can depend on it. So uh, continue to help us grow, continue to help uh, and work in the life of the person who might be here this morning who is uh, really wrestling with these things and they're an obstacle to their uh, following Jesus, that you will remove that obstacle and you'll help them to see that Jesus is the one that you sent and that it is uh, a, 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 the right life decision to turn to him as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. Thank you for who you are and how you work in the world. And we thank you through Jesus. Amen.